3-1 lead with his first ever MLS goal. And that surely will seal the three points in the Queen City for Charlotte FC. 3-1. Charlotte with a wonderful and devastating counterattack. Well, mathematically, it was the worst loss in Nashville SC's history. Was it the worst performance in club history? And where did the boys in gold go from here? Lots to discuss on this week's edition of the Club and Country podcast. You just heard Charlotte's third goal, the one that sealed the match before the fourth added insult to injury. Credit to Tony Husband, Jamie Watson, and iHeartRadio for an outstanding call. I was up in Canada, missed the match, and, uh, well, there would be... There, you there didn't are, miss a lot, Wes. You did I was going to well, say, it was you probably missed a lot, miss. maybe not a lot to like. <laughs> have since copiously watched back through, but uh, definitely a match that, that was okay to be in Canada for. I'm Wes Bowling, Nashville SC radio voice, and this is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who'd covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, and that includes... I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, where, as Wes mentioned, I've been writing about the club longer than anyone else. In the rain in Charlotte, the goals rain down on Nashville as they lose to Charlotte 4-1, the most lopsided loss in NSC history, USL or MLS, also the first time that they have allowed four goals in a contest as the boys in gold went down 2-0 after 61 minutes. They clawed one goal back via Ahani Mukhtar PK, his 10th goal of the season, then conceded twice in the waning moments to drop their first ever match against Charlotte. And Tim, now, regardless of where fans stand after the defeat, whether they're irate, whether they realize eh, the performance was okay, the result was just bad. Either way, this team has some questions to answer, a lot of questions to answer, heading into a brutally tough week. Yeah, if this game was in a vacuum, it would be disappointing, but you could kind of shrug it off. The fact that it's uh, kind of in the midst of a run of, of terrible results against everyone who is not named DC United, which uh, tends to give everyone a very <laughs> a very easy win lately, that's what makes it as bad as it was. Um, even more than the scoreboard, the fact that it was kind of a, a listless second half, especially despite Hani Mukhtar pulling one back, it, it never really felt like Nashville was going to come all the way back. No, certainly didn't. And rewatching that certainly was still still the impression I had as well. And uh, things don't get any easier. Nashville now has dropped points against Portland, who was outside playoff position, San Jose, SKC, a Charlotte team that's kind of hovering around, but obviously a first-year expansion club. And now dates with Seattle Wednesday and LAFC on Sunday. So today we're going to waive our usual format. We're going to dispense with the early shout as much as we love it. The Gold Nuggets, they'll be back. We're going to go all in on the mailbag because we got, as you might expect, a, I think, record number of questions after Nashville's defeat. So we're going to answer them, and we are going to hear from Chris Sines as well of LAFC Podcast Shoulder to Shoulder to get you ready for the weekend. Sorry we're publishing a little later than normal, by the way. Uh, Tim's power went out. My travel was terrible coming back from, from Canada, and uh, so we, we're just a little bit, a little bit slow, but, uh, you know, we are, we are not delaying this so that we can announce a transfer. Sorry, Finn. <laughs> Sorry, Finn. <laughs> uh, but first, of course, Club & Country is sponsored by ML Rose. And I can tell you, Tim, while Toronto is a foodie mecca, the Toronto airport is not. And I had a burger in Toronto waiting for my delayed flight that very much made me miss ML Rose. It's, it's deceptive because most burgers are going to pass the smell test, right? Like ground beef on a grill, it's going to smell good. So I was drawn in. After my Tim Hortons donut, even I was drawn in flight was delayed. I went for the burger. Tim just wasn't the same. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about it, not just because 
of of what ML Roseburgers can be, but because of how they compare to the the fare at Toronto International Airport, that's been one of the important factors that that led us to pick ML Rose as a sponsor. They they definitely supersede Toronto's burger options as well. Yeah, the new slogan ML Rose: "To a person, we're better than Pearson." <laughs> Yeah, and, and you you tend to shout out the burgers at ML Rose. I tend to shout out the beer at ML Rose. I don't know what that says about us individually, but uh, you, the beers I I hope were very good at at Toronto Pearson International Airport. But um, surely they couldn't hold the candle to what we have consistently seen. Not only um, at the Eight South ML Rose, although that's that's our ML Rose of choice, but all of them great beer lists, and and we have a great time every time we go yeah pearson actually serves my favorite beer in the world that's only available in ontario and quebec so i'm not going to hold that against ml rose (laughs) ml rose has i think like nine of my 10 favorite local beers Mm -hmm. and the 10th is on rotational tap like it's it really is amazing you know the the variety because you and i are the same there you 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 over talk your tendency to talk about the beer i talk about the beer a good bit too (laughs) so but we're the same in this regard. When we go, we're going to order three beers. They're probably going to be three different beers. Like we're going to mm-hmm. rotate through the tap. And it's such a bummer to go somewhere and have one beer that you kind of like and nothing else that you're really even inclined to to try. And I'll tell you, that's been a differentiator for me before. I've gone to ML Rose because I knew I could get variety of beer. Maybe I like a restaurant down the street decently, but but it doesn't have that beer selection and the burgers aren't as good. Clear choice every time. So I missed it very much flying back into the United States and flew back shortly after this match happened. It's Mukhtar against Jelena. Right-footed. He scores for Nashville. It's 2-1. They're back in the game with still a quarter of the game to go. Game on at Bank of America Stadium. 10 for the season in MLS for Hani Mukhtar. Yep, we start our mailbag. We'll start with uh, Hani Mukhtar's goal. Uh, sorry, Chris Hull. There will be just an injection, a small injection of optimism uh, there in that moment. As you said, this is no time for optimism. We are optimistic realists on this podcast, but that is Hani Mukhtar's goal, the one bright spot for Nashville's 10th of the season that edged him within two tallies of the Golden Boot lead heading into Wednesday's midweek matches. Uh, but that was about it, really, for, for Nashville against Charlotte. Thanks to iHeartRadio. Uh, for that call from Tony Husband. Before you get, before we get to your comments, your questions, let's hear from the gaffer about what he said after the loss to Charlotte. Hey, Gary, you mentioned goals change games. Um, it seemed like you guys were content to let them possess as long as they didn't do anything with it. And then once they got the penalty, you guys uh, had to be a little bit more proactive going forward. How did that change what you guys were able to do? And then how did that kind of affect the outcome of the game in the long run? Yeah, look, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't as cut and dried as that, Tim. Um, you know, two very different systems and styles. And they managed the ball better than we did on this surface, which gave them a far stronger base and platform to work from. Um, there were some difficulties, you know, technically dealing with the ball, dealing with the pace of the game, dealing with the surface. And, and it became more and more apparent that you know, we were going to, if we were going to get any traction, we might have to change one or two things. Unfortunately, the goal, in all fairness, comes from uh, an innocuous situation, if I'm being honest. And, um, you know, to concede a penalty in that fashion, of course, it's hugely frustrating. And it gives them a bit of a shot in the arm and the boost they probably needed. Tim, it's rare that Gary Smith has more questions than answers at this time of the season. Nashville SC typically at this stage, slightly after the halfway point, 
has cemented its identity. And while no team is flawless, and Nashville had its flaws last year, you know, set pieces, for example, this team has some holes to figure out. They've, they've got some solutions they've got to find, maybe more than in the previous two years. What's the biggest problem Nashville needs to solve right now? In the words of Kerry Longstaff, who asked in the mailbag, what has happened and what is needed to turn it around? I know it's not going to be a satisfying answer for a lot of people who are upset after Saturday's game, but for the most part, it's, it's a short-term run of poor form. This team is in poor form. There's no denying that. But it's been augmented or perhaps emphasized by some really bad luck. Nashville quite handily won the XG battle on Saturday night. Um, both teams had a penalty kick. If you take away the, the nearly uh, 0.8 from each of those, Nashville practically doubled up Charlotte in expected goals. The problem is... Some of that is from playing behind. So you have to kind of contextualize that a little bit. But in the first half, even, even before teams kind of settle into a rhythm of Charlotte trying to play out a game and Nashville trying desperately to come back, uh, Charlotte was held to only two total shots in the first half. Neither of them produced basically any danger other than the penalty. So there's not a lot going on there that until, you know, games go off the rails and yes games going off the rails is a problem and that was what happened the previous weekend the portland game was absolutely this team laying an egg with a lead the skc game a few weeks back was bad but with all of that in the rearview mirror even with three of the worst results you can recall add the san jose result four of the worst results you can recall in the history of this club they still sit in a playoff position or right on the cusp of the playoffs at the very least and um, the narrative is based around results and i understand that but when you project it forward do you think they are what they have been these past five or six games? Or do you think that they're what they've been over the course of the season? And maybe these past five or six games are the aberration. If, if you think the latter, uh, I think the quality of the performance that you saw on Saturday night is an indication that maybe they're, they're getting back to their early season performances after some rough stretches and, and the result unfortunately did not reward them for it. But at some point, if five or six matches is an aberration, five or six matches is about a third of the season you've played so far, mm -hmm. if you go with mm -hmm. six. And, and at some point, that starts to become who you are, I think, rather right. than, than being that's, that that's, that's absolutely fair, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where folks are concerned. So I'll push back, because factually, I agree with you, right? Like, like this is a game of moments, and there have been a few moments that have gone against Nashville that have been unlucky. A couple of bad moments that maybe are not indicative of a team that is bad, because I don't think either yeah. of us think this Nashville team is is bad. Flawed, sure, but it's still a good team. Uh but if we can agree that soccer is a game of moments, that you're going to have four or five moments every match that determine a match, and we can also agree that the most successful teams over the course of the season build trend lines where they succeed more than they fail in those key moments. By definition, if soccer is a game of moments, the best teams are winning more moments than they're losing. Then I think we, we have to agree, right, that Nashville's fallen short in enough important individual instances in recent matches to raise some concern, right? I mean, doesn't yeah. that indicate a team that maybe has been a little bit less bulletproof in some key moments than the Nashville the first two years? Yeah, they're not bulletproof. I think we, we can very <laughs> we can very safely say that, but it happens to good teams too. New York City FC was the by far the best team in the league last year. They had some of this bad luck go against them, and they finished behind Nashville in the Eastern Conference table. They ended up going on to win MLS Cup. I'm not saying that Nashville is necessarily going to win MLS Cup, but I'm saying the the predictive stats are are a little bit more important uh, with, with this much of the season left. 
late in the year, obviously there's not time to predict a whole lot, but mm -hmm. with this much of the season left, nearly half of the season left, the predictive stats probably tell you a little bit more about how the second half of the season is going to go rather than the results from the first half of the season. And so um, if you think that Nashville's bad luck is going to dry up, I guess you usually talk about good luck drying up, but whatever. Um, <laughs> if you think the bad luck is going to dry up, then, you know, a team that's, you know, third or fourth best in the Western Conference over the second half of the season could probably close that gap and, and maybe finish third or fourth in the West or at least finish a couple spots higher than they are right now. But I think there are definitely some underlying issues as well with a team that again we both think has potential to still very much be a top four team in the west and probably has the quality to be that top four team and so rather than you know answering carrie your question in one or two words here we're going to spend a good bit of the rest of the podcast talking about some of those challenges yeah, it's and opportunities theme. it's a theme for sure it theme is a theme on. indeed which is why we led with it because it's, it's a great question and it's it's the best distillation of what is a very complex uh topic um you will know by now tuning in and listening to the first 10 minutes of the show and throughout our history here that we are either optimistic realists or realistic optimists. You, you choose your term, uh, but we want to follow the facts. And, uh, and yet we also, you know, the reason I push back there on, on you a little bit, Tim, is I know there are folks who, you know, for a match at least say, damn the facts. I'm fed up. Yeah. This team gave up four goals for the first time. This sucks. Yeah. You know, and they want to, they want to point the finger at somebody. And, that, and that's, that is, that is important. And it is fair. Winning the XG battle does not mean you get to retroactively go back and say you won the game. Winning the XG battle is more informative going forward. If you win the XG battle more often than not, you're going to win the game. It's not a guarantee that you're going to win every time that you win the XG battle. And then Nashville was on the wrong side of that on Saturday night. But if they continue to do that, and that's not a guarantee either, they were poor in a few of the previous games, uh, especially the SKC game, I think. But if, if you continue to do that, you're probably going to win more often than you lose. Well, let's get or tactical. Or draw. Or draw. But this team never <laughs> We can draws. do that in soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, national fans are well aware. Uh, we'll get to your specific questions here then, folks, to, to get behind the numbers a little bit. And, and it is first some tactics, a couple of similar questions here. Wyatt, how much blame should be attributed to Gary? Is he making as many mistakes as the fan base claims? CJ Bush, with regard to on-field tactics, what changes do you see that need to be made? And CJ says, I know you're going to say it's a small sample size, but there are obvious issues at hand. And we'll go back to Wyatt for a sec, uh, who says he's also about to finish the national team. A recommendation from you, Tim. Uh, so Wyatt, thanks for listening to the end of each podcast. Uh, and uh, Wyatt, thanks you, Tim, for the recommendation. So to the question. You know, I, both of us have undying respect for Gary Smith as a tactician, as a man manager. Um, does he deserve blame? Is there is there tactical tweaking that needs to be done to to transform this team's fortunes? So I think it's a two parter, and and part A is is there is the coach a a quote unquote problem, and it is if so, uh, you know what is the quote unquote problem. I think I think what you're seeing is a team that again is is a little bit better than the record shows. So, has the coach or coaching tactical setup, whatever, however you want to phrase it, so that I'm not <laughs> insulting Gary Smith by by rephrasing the question. Um, has has that led to the the XG underperformance? I don't think so. Does that mean it's perfect? Of course not. Um, I've never. <clears throat> excuse me, I've never really been a, a fan of the back five. I know Gary Smith has liked it a lot in previous stops, including um, at times in USL and at times last year with his club and, and for most of this year so far. Uh, I've, I've never been a, a big fan of it. I, it's just a preference deal for me. But when you don't have a right wing back, uh, it's it's a little bit less defensible to say this is our tactical setup. Alex Muell obviously performs super admirably there. 
Um, he's very good going forward. He has the motor to get up and down the pitch. He's a very willing defender. He doesn't necessarily have those defensive instincts just because this is a guy who has always played higher up the pitch in his in his professional and, and pre-professional career. He has never been a guy who's a pure defender. <clears throat> when you look at Eric Miller, um, he is not a guy who's going to get up and down the wing necessarily. He's not a guy who's going to make a huge uh, offensive impact. And he's not uh, a lockdown enough defender. I, he, I, you and I have defended him in the past. Uh, no pun intended, I guess. But we've defended him in the passing. He gets a little more stick than he deserves. And I still think that's true on the defensive end of the pitch. But he is not a lockdown enough defender for what you sacrifice going forward. Uh, yeah, so, I, so oh, sorry. Your conclusion. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I got more. I got more. Bring it. The issue, the issue with my personal criticism of, of the back five here is that when you look at what has gone wrong in the past two games, it's happened out of the back four. Nashville has either started a game in the back four or switched to the back four and it has gone poorly. So I think sticking with what has worked might have even been a better idea. Therefore, um, listening to me has been the problem <laughs> the last couple of games. That is Gary Smith. <laughs> his, his famous his famous weakness is listening to me all the time. So sorry. So I think I think what you really need is is a healthy set of defensive midfielders. We haven't seen it enough lately. Anibal Godoy has been out since getting injured on international duty with Panama. He's, he's kind of uh, halted and, and, and uh, stumped forward in his, in his return to the field. Um, Dax McCarty is, is nearly our age and he's not a guy who can go out and play 90 minutes every game. Like he was a couple years ago. Um, Sean Davis and, and Brian Anunga are, are filling in admirably. Anunga has, has had a couple um, very visible. I think, they, they have been um, evaluated harshly by the fan base in terms of, of his, his couple big mistakes here because they're so visible, but you're responsible when you give up a penalty and, and your team goes down in the first half. And, and he is the first to tell you that. So it's something that I think, uh, you know, regardless of who is out there, Nashville needs better performances from those defensive midfielders because that's so important to the Smith scheme. And I don't think the scheme is the problem. It's just finding a way to get get the most out of the players that you have that we maybe haven't seen enough adjusting within the scheme uh, over the past few weeks. I think that's reasonable. I think Nashville is you know a little bit fortunate that it really only has one position where it's plugging a couple of square pegs into a into a round hole, and, and we've seen Wheel perform well in that in that spot at times. But um, by the way, if if listening to you is where Gary's going wrong, I guess I'm safe because I just don't listen to you. <laughs> as evidenced by the fact that I just I just cut you off. I I actually go to a different a different conclusion here while agreeing while I agree with you that that you know the four man has been where some things went wrong I, I think also a big issue for this team has been especially without Randall Leal you know the struggles to link midfield and, and the attack right so I actually think that you stick with a four-man attacking group, at least at home, and become a bit more attack-driven. I think I almost go the opposite way. If look, if if this team is going to be a little bit more fragile in conceding, then let's just be more vociferous in the attack, and let's rely on that individual quality in the back to hopefully mean that four goal games are few and far between. But I think opening things up actually could be could be a solution for this team, especially as Randall Leal is back and and healthy now. So I think that's almost where I go. Is same analysis, but be the opposite conclusion of of going to that four man attacking group, getting a four two three one, and you know perhaps part of the issue, Tim, is not that the four man back line isn't working; it's that the team hasn't played in that a lot. It's going to take some time to to get synced up there, and maybe if they have the aggression of that extra attacker, but they have a little more chemistry built in, then a Romney Zimmerman pairing in the back will eventually show through as it has as it has really for the bulk of Nashville's history. 
I'll push back only to say I think the reason for the third goal uh, on Saturday night was largely because Nashville was was pushing to try and find a, a an equalizer. And that's something that honestly, in, in past years, you might not have seen them throw as many bodies forward. So mm-hmm. at the very least, they're going forward a little bit more than we've seen in the past. It, it hasn't worked out. Maybe maybe going forward is a mistake. But at least I think from a fan base perspective, they talk about being t- tired of draws and, and kind of bored of draws. At least um, Nashville's going to make something happen on Saturday night. <laughs> it was the wrong things for sure. And we know Nashville's not going to be in FC Cincinnati and draw three three and four four anytime soon consistently. So uh, you know maybe two two uh, Portland uh, patron saint of coffee. All right, it's the question you guys have teased us about for a while. We are the small sample size podcast, and so let's we gotta get, get we gotta a get a Walker drop in here. By the way, we gotta add this to the soundboard. First, we got to get a soundboard. Then we got to add the Walker drop to the soundboard. <laughs> uh, hey, Braden, four forty sports. Can you hook us up with the soundboard. <laughs> Patron saint of coffee. Will we ever have a big enough sample size? So I'm, I understand the question because we we consistently say it's it's a small sample size. Uh, it depends on what what the sample size is trying to represent in the in the larger statistical picture, I guess. Uh, is this five game sample size that we've kind of picked apart more important than the previous uh, 13, 14, however many games it was before that? I don't even know how many games they played. I think 19. Um, but 19. yeah, but I, so we're looking at a five game sample size and saying everything is terrible, but you have 14 games before that that say everything is, is pretty good. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. So in terms of, of from a pure statistical standpoint, it, it depends on what you're trying to figure out with the sample size that you have. Um, is Hani Mukhtar a bad finisher because he's below his expected goals conversion this year? I don't think so. We don't have the sample size for that. I'm actually going to have something, I think, in the next few weeks about finishing and sample sizes and expected goals, and it's going to be kind of boring <laughs> to everybody who doesn't who doesn't love the stat stuff. But as we all know, I unfortunately Our listeners are in. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners are totally in on this. But, but I, I think when you look at, um, you know, is, is this season going to continue on the track that it's been on the past five games? Uh, you don't have the sample size to say that that's the case because we have a, a more significant sample size that says it's not the case. And, and for the specifics of this question, yes. And for everybody making fun of me because I was so excited that Walker <laughs> said small sample size on Saturday night. Uh, yes, I, I deserve it this time. <laughs> And I want to I want to draw a distinction here because I don't want people to think that we're just using the small sample size phrase to keep ourselves from having strong opinions or analyzing or appropriately drawing conclusions. I think if oh, any, it's, it's, it's important to to uh, be aware of your sample size to draw meaningful right. conclusions. Well, and it, it keeps us grounded in in mm-hmm. fact, right? So we're not going to be that podcast in this market, and you guys know that who are going to be screaming after a, you know, a 4-1 loss where two of the goals were late and, you know, when Nashville had numbers plucked forward. But if Honey Mukhtar doesn't hit the bar and it goes in instead mm-hmm. and it's all of a sudden a Nashville, you know, lead early and they ride that to a win, like three touches different and the game could be yeah. totally different. So what we want to do is use sample size not as a cop-out to say, well, we don't know that yet. We'll never know that, yada, yada. But to guide our our accurate opinions a little bit instead of instead of removing our obligation to have opinions and and instead of having such strong opinions that nothing means mm-hmm. anything anymore. Yeah, I think that was actually a, a perfect example of a small sample size. That one shot is a sample size of one. It would have not been meaningful in the least in terms of how the game how the teams had been performing had it gone in versus not going in. 
obviously it impacted a lot going forward, but the one, the one shot sample size, uh, doesn't, you know, the result of that shot doesn't necessarily mean Nashville had been playing worse than if it had been six inches lower. Uh, it was just, it's just kind of a sample size thing that says, you know, sometimes, sometimes the shot doesn't go in, sometimes it does. And in the future, you're probably going to see a, a Nashville SC team that wins games that it, it has a 2.6 to 2.0 XG advantage in. And this time they didn't, you do not get those three points on the, on the uh, standings. But I, th- I don't think it's as quite as depressing as the, the record-setting final score would say either. And none of this is to, you know, criticize anybody who's ticked after... Yeah, no, people should be... Losses. Yeah, like, you, you should not be mad or happy based on expected goals in terms of what it meant Saturday night. You should be mad that the team lost 4-1 Saturday night. You should understand that it doesn't mean they're going to lose 4-1 next time. Nashville fifth, by the way, in the expected goals table in the Western Conference, in case you're wondering. That's via goal differential. Uh, Logan, great question. Long question. Love the long question. In previous ruts, Gary's been able to change the formation to get us out of them. I get the feeling that a back four may be the ultimate solution out of this one, but a back four has round holes in our current roster, has squarer pegs and key positions, especially right back. Is that keeping Gary from fully committing to a formation change? Do you all think it's a fair assessment? And if so, does it make it all the more necessary that Nashville make one or two signings in those key areas to give a little bit more tactical flexibility. I think the biggest obstacle, Tim, for me to a formation change is trusting that your midfield and your defense can sustain the added vulnerability that comes with essentially inserting a fourth attacking player, moving a center back, you're putting in, you know, a, a wing typically in that, in that setup. Um, if you if you do bring in a Shaq Moore, and we're not reporting news here, but if you bring in a Shaq Moore along the right flank, you can put Alex Wheel at right wing and get a better blend to me of that stability and that aggression. So yes, I think it would be it would be very beneficial. And we're not we're also not breaking news to tell you that both Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith have said publicly they want to upgrade at right back. So mm-hmm. you know I, I think yes. I think Mike was the, Mike was breaking that news when he told us that in the preseason. <laughs> yes, he was. He broke that right here. Uh, we're not breaking a transfer rumor today, but we we did break that feedback with him uh, and hope to catch up with him again here in the near future. But yeah, I, I mean, I think absolutely that added piece gets you to a place where you know you, you've got somebody you're a little more content with in defense, but who still has that attacking prowess. And now, is that is that transfer necessary to move to the back four? I think we've just established in our opinions here that no, it's not. Um, I think, you know, you can, you can make that change. It, you just are going to have a flaw. Like every single team in major league soccer has a flaw at a, <laughs> at a position. And that's, that's a place where you're, you're not optimized, but you're, you can still be pretty strong. Yeah. I said, I said it a moment ago and, and you, I think expressed what I'm about to say pretty well is, is that Nashville's Nashville's personnel is not what the management or the head coach plans for it to be at the end of the season, whether or not they get a deal done might be a different question. We are not breaking any news here, like you said, but um, I think to get to Logan's point, the, the right back situation makes a back five worse for Nashville's current personnel for the reasons that I said, wheel is good there, but not a natural defensively. Uh, Miller doesn't have the motor nor the attacking punch in the final third. And, and for that reason, that is why right back has been the, the focus of, of transfer rumors or also because there has been a credible transfer rumor that we've, that we've talked about, pretty much repeatedly about Jack Moore as well. And by the way, Logan, we still got to get that beer. Um, 
And anyway, uh, Finn Breland, another buddy. In all seriousness, we've been on the losing end of several games where we drastically underperform, according to XG and XG Allowed. Is there a statistical explanation for this? I'm sure some of it is just bad luck, but I was surprised to see Nashville lead Charlotte in XG yesterday. And, and Pyle weighing in as well. Could you possibly talk about XG a little and how, from my understanding, our players seem to lack a finish based on XG, or am I reading it all wrong? Great questions. You can interpret XG a few different ways. And these guys, these guys asked about XG because they're, they're like, we're going to get Tim talking about this, aren't we? <laughs> XT, <laughs> baby. XT. Yeah, we are going, uh, I've got to write it. I've got to write it. I've been teasing it uh, in, in some soccer spaces for a while, but I've got to write this, this finishing XG to goals sort of piece that I've been mulling about in my mind, have some charts um, that I've been kicking around in my mind and haven't just put the finishing touches on yet, but in the micro, it is largely bad luck. I think you look at CJ Sapong and Hani Mukhtar and say they're underperforming their expected goals this year. History has shown that both both for them, um, Hani, just because he's been in the league so for such a short period of time, is, is slightly underachieving for his career. But um, he's a guy who's who has not consistently underachieved, even when he was in Germany, when he was in Denmark. And history shows that on a team-wide scale, regardless of team, um, and even on an individual scale, the production is more important than the conversion. Even if you're underachieving your XG, it's more important to, to have a one goal on, on 1.2 XG than to have two goals on 0.3 XG as you try to project your team forward going um, into, into future games. Your pro the production is more important than the conversion. So, um, you know, it's something that because the sample sizes, yes, are, are so low, um, you know, we're talking about sample sizes where one kick, one kick can take you from an XG underachiever to an overachiever. And then everybody's going to say he snapped out of it. But that's just the variance because the numbers are so low. I'm thinking about basketball, which actually has a lot less variance because of the sheer number of shots in a game. Sometimes Steph Curry has an off shooting night. Sometimes he, he has two off shooting nights in a row. Does that make him not one of the best pure shooters in the history of the NBA? No. And I'm not saying Hani Mukhtar is, is one of the best finishers in the history of MLS either, but he's certainly, you know, a, a basically an average XG finisher, which the vast, vast majority of players around the world are. As for Piles drill down, um, Hani and CJ have been among the guys underperforming this year, but they are historically guys who convert at a decent rate. So it's unsatisfying probably to say, Oh, Without bad luck, the team would be better. But I think for the most part, that's that's what you have seen so far this year. And it's it's not that significant of bad luck. I was expecting actually to see um, in my little luck rankings based on the difference between expected goals and, and actual goals scored after a pretty uh, intense uh, difference on a Saturday evening. I was expecting to see Nashville drop to the unluckiest team in MLS. And that's not the case. So this is a team that still has to perform better as well. So... Yes, yes, uh, bad luck has played a huge role, but there's still upward mobility. Um, even if they continue having bad luck, you can produce more goals and, and you can uh, prevent opponents from producing more shots as well. Beautiful analysis. Uh, I'll cap it off with a bit of statistical context when you mentioned the idea that the production is more important than the conversion. Uh, that's, that's a keystone. That's a keystone of the of the finishing festo. Uh, this is a horrible manifesto pun. Whatever. Go ahead, <laughs> <laughs> the manifesto. Uh, Isaac, Isaac S. and and actually MCB listens to our podcast too. It's a shout out to him. Roldanifesto. It's a big. Oh. It's a big thing in some soccer didn't, spaces. Didn't so. catch it. Didn't yeah. catch no, it. You were, you were definitely you now. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to uh, MCB. Hope you're listening to this on the subway, my friend. Hello. Enjoy the ride um, down there. Uh, so uh, the, the idea that production being more important than than conversion, I'll take it to a simple simple stat, which is shots on target per ninety. Uh, you know, obviously, the more shots you take 
the higher mm. XG is ultimately going to be by by sheer volume. Um, Nashville's second right now in Major League Soccer in shots on target per 90. Uh, last year, five of the top seven teams in shots on target per 90 ended up making the playoffs. Number one was NYCFC. Number two, by the way, was indeed Nashville. So, uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good point. I can look at Nashville in terms of uh, my power ratings, which essentially just normalize based on your strength of competition. Nashville's offense is is below average in goals scored. They're like seven uh, hundredths of a of a standard deviation. Everybody's pretty tight, actually, which probably means it's not a true standard deviation, whatever, because they're averages. Um, I'm not a statistician anymore, <laughs> but so they're they're below average in terms of in terms of the what the actual finishing is. And in terms of, of what the uh, production has been, they're basically bang on average. They're plus 0.01. So they're essentially dead average. So yes, there's been bad luck, but it hasn't been huge bad luck either. There's another area I'll preview that we'll talk about in a second where they have been a bit a bit more unlucky, and that's on the concession side of those things. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll get to that in, in just a sec. Um, Hanner Montaner uh, says doesn't seem like Loba has a future to actually contribute with Gary's team. What would it take for NSC to part ways with him at this point? And if not now, then at what point do you see it happening? I'm trying to think of a way that we can get the best of both worlds here. Uh, that's a pun that Wes is not going to get, you know, Hannah Montana. Heard, I got heard it. Of it. Thank heard you of the very shirt? much. Okay. Welcome. Um, I'm still not... in my shoes and you know, I'd guess that one. <laughs> I'm still not giving up hope. I know, I know we've been, uh, I've, I've been probably one of the bigger Loba skeptics, especially over the past few weeks. But I'm not giving up hope either. He has the talent, uh, the fitness and attitude. We're simply not there for the first half season, um, you know, the second half of last season, but his first half season with the team and the second half season, which is the first half so far of this season. That's such a why. Did I, why am I over explaining this? Everyone knows what I'm saying. <laughs> it's shown that he has the desire to succeed, but he really hasn't turned on the desire to do what it takes, particularly the little on field things. I'm not saying he practices poorly. I'm saying I'm determining when he should try uh, to make a move versus pass the ball, determining uh, when he should maybe put in a, even a minimal defensive effort, which is, has been a huge issue for him as well. The flashes are there. They're absolutely there. That said, uh, he hasn't put it together yet, and, and time is starting to run out. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect Nashville to part with him. Uh, it would take an offer that, frankly, is not going to come. Um, Nashville will want to recoup the, the value that they paid to acquire him. And given how he's performed, he has not gained or or even maintained value at this stage. Yeah, given John Ingram and Mike Jacobs' um, smart business uh, logic, I agree with you. They're not going to send him anywhere unless Nashville can at least break even on the transaction he signed through the end of next season. So your <laughs> options then keep him around and hope he gels. Loan him somewhere with an option to buy. So perhaps you send him somewhere else that might be interested, you know, if he performs and in, in meet, meeting a th- certain price threshold, loan him somewhere that's not interested in buying him just to get its confidence back, you know, send him to USL or more likely to a league in another country. But where are you loaning him that he can gain confidence without that then being an insult to the fact that he's a $6.8 million DP who's all of a sudden playing in Orange County or, or, or again, more likely playing. Um, there are worse places to play. That's a great <laughs> point. Yeah, the, the beach would suit that, that ailment. So then, you know, in order of those options, then I expect, number one, most likely he's on the squad until the end of 2023. You mm-hmm. know, you're, you're paying him there. Fallacy of sunk costs. You know, you, you don't get rid of him unless you can. You can get that return. So number number two then in likelihood, but a distant number two to me. Yeah, I, th- um, I think yeah, I think number one. I I agree with you that number one is by far the most likely. 
that's it. Number two is maybe loan him somewhere. There's a purchase option there of a club that really likes his, his raw potential. But I don't think that happens unless you're talking like the, the get-out-of-jail-free card that, that mm-hmm. Atlanta got for Petey Martinez to go to Saudi yeah. Arabia, and prices yeah. are just crazy there. Number three is loan somewhere to develop confidence. Number four, someone takes him off NSC's hands in the meantime at a price the club can stomach. I think most likely this is a non-discussion because he's on the, he's on the squad until the mm-hmm. end of 2023, but a good question nonetheless. We interrupt this uh, mailbag therapy session uh, to talk about another kind of therapy, Tim, and that is the best burger in Nashville. There is nothing better to celebrate with or to, to use to mourn a defeat than in a Melrose burger or assorted menu item. Yeah, you know what? I talk a lot about how ML Rose is walkable from the stadium. I hear there's a potential parking snafu arising. <laughs> this is this is the perfect opportunity for ML Rose. Uh, these guys are, are right along 8th Avenue, major transit corridor. They can uh, have people get to their restaurant, do a little tailgating there, walk to the game after the game, walk back to ML Rose, get some get some uh, transportation back to their homes. Perfect. Perfect. Finally, the, the walkable distance is going to be super relevant. And I don't mean to make light of the parking situation. That's that's uh, been an issue over the course of Tuesday here. But but the location is impeccable. It really mm-hmm. is. And, you know, they're poised. They're poised, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> Absolutely. While I wish that I could say that all 30,000 people at Jonas Park listen to this show, I'm, I'm guessing it's not quite to that level yet. We're going to get there, Tim. We're going to get there. <laughs> and so when I walk into ML Rose after a match, like I often do, and I see gold everywhere. I know some of those people are probably there because we talk about this restaurant and and we hope so. We, we've seen that. You guys have shown us pictures uh, of, of your visits there, but others are there because it's just so dang close and it's so convenient. And uh, I mean, that's that's what you want, right? Everywhere you go. Even, I'm going down, I'm actually going down to Orlando to explore your stadium to see Arsenal play Orlando City in the friendly next week. And, and I'm already thinking, is there a bar within walking distance where I can get good food, have good conversation and, you know, great great local beer i don't know like I, it's it's something i always want to look for and seek out and uh, we have your answer uh it's MLS. <coughs> not in orlando unfortunately but but here in nashville <laughs> yeah and, and i want to give a shout out to the rainbow unicorns the the rec league team that on our recommendation went to ml rose over the weekend so thank you guys for for uh taking care of taking care of our sponsor for us yes absolutely whole soccer teams are being fed hopefully Post game, you can fuel up pregame. There's some good healthy options too. But if you're gonna eat a big burger there, I, I would might I might go I might go post game as they did. So that's great. Uh, back to the mailbag now, and then in just a little bit, we're gonna hear from Chris Signs and a great conversation Tim had with him to get us ready for LAFC this weekend. Brian says conflicting points of view in the fan sphere. Have the Yotes overperformed or underperformed the roster so far in its history? It's a good question, Brian. And again, I always like the way Brian approaches these discussions. He kind of carries a level of nuance that sometimes not everyone has, and that's okay. But it's overachieving. It's at that... me, Wes. Jeez. I know. <laughs> I, please. I'm, I'm apparently the, the wild feelings ball maniac. And you're the cold-hearted <laughs> numbers guy, if anything is the other way around. Um, it, Nashville's overachieved, period. The triumphs of the first two years outweigh the frustrations of the last two months, the last five or six matches. And while there are questions to be asked, I think it's a good chance for us to remind ourselves that there's historical perspective here. And in that historical perspective, Nashville has done abundantly more than anyone expected. Yeah, that's. I don't think there's, there's a, a more concise way to put it. In history, they've way overachieved so far this year maybe about even because of looking at what they've missed 
Walker Zimmerman and Anibal Godoy on international duty, um, Godoy and, and Leal. And, and yes, I know a lot of fans aren't a huge fans of them, but Teal Bunbury too, missing as much of the season as, as an important group of guys has missed. I think NSC was lucky uh, over the first two years to not have sustained key injuries, but so far this year it's, they've, they've been hit with that, uh, I guess more uh, palatable version of bad luck too. So that partially explains, but I think you could say they've underachieved so far. It's it doesn't over the course of the of the franchise make up for the overachievement of the first two years. You just said a phrase that has never been uttered to me before, which was that you just said that as concisely as it could possibly be. So <laughs> it's never it's never been uttered to me. I did like a double take on that. But but speaking of under and over performance, to take it a statistical direction, just a little bit of a different place. We teased this a minute ago. Nashville is underperformed its XG this year by just 0.8 over the course of the year. So pretty much even. They've scored almost as many goals as uh, the XG would indicate that they should have. Here's the side, and I know I'm totally taking this question in a different direction, so this is just more using the word and turning it around to something else, but um, opponents now have overperformed their XG against Nashville by 3.3 goals. That's third highest in the West, sixth highest in the MLS. So right there, that tells you Nashville's been either a little bit unlucky, the victim of great finishes, had some awkward plays by keepers, as we've seen a couple times. Yeah. Um, so... You know, by that standard, you can expect things to correct just a little bit in Nashville to get back to a place where they are, you know, overperforming uh, their roster as they have have consistently. Yeah, I think that that specific stat right there explains why there's been a little bit of goalkeeper shuffling when we had literally never seen any before. Trying to find the, the the magic sauce, and I don't think Joe Willis has lost what made him a good keeper, and I don't think Elliot Panico's. <clears throat> extremely poor moment against Portland means he's a bad keeper. I think Nashville actually has two good keepers and that's another reason to say, Hey, maybe the back half of the season isn't going to be quite as disappointing as these past few games. Uncle Beasy with the club showing its first extended run of bad form as longtime followers of Nashville soccer. How do you feel the fan base will respond? Is the negativity hyperbole or are we seeing the beginnings of the newness wearing off? I mean, I, uh, this is, <laughs> I think some people are going to feel seen here, but I think even when things were going exceptionally well, the negative hyperbole was, was ever present. Honestly, yeah. this is a, this is a fan base that has, that has honestly looked for things to be upset with. And listen, I'm a Michigan grad and I covered Michigan for 10 years <laughs> after graduating from Michigan. I understand it. You're a Tennessee guy. You get it. People oh, are, yeah. people have expectations and then disappoint themselves because their expectations are out of line with reality or because uh, those expectations are met, but that means that they just weren't high enough. Um, I don't expect, I don't expect fan sentiment to suddenly be positive. If the performance levels off to what we saw earlier in the year, I, I think very few people have been happy since the Seattle game uh, with any consistent, um, you know, uh, with any consistent amount of, of feeling that way, but it's the reality of, of, the sport it's the reality of this fan base i don't think it's i'm not telling people how to how to experience fandom i think being um upset about losses is obviously is obviously reasonable but i, I do think uh negativity is is kind of a, a baked in characteristic here in music city well but it's also the the function of a team that's only earned one win streak all year in, in league play mm -hmm. they've only they've never really given this year the fans a chance to just really be on a high for very long. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, their the recent pattern, win, draw, loss, win, draw, loss. So a win's coming up against Seattle and a draw against LAFC. You heard it here first. And then a loss to Cincinnati. Oh, all right. Um, but I, I want to I stand up and forgive those expectations for a little bit. I, I think the frustration is understandable because it's rooted in the fact that this club has set high expectations for itself. Now, 
the manifestation of that frustration, you know, tweeting hashtag Gary out, we'll both laugh out loud at that notion, right? Like we'll both LOL at hashtag Gary out. We will indeed BRB um, because I'm going to VOMIT at the idea of <laughs> an abbreviation. I just, I just spelled something. That's nothing. Um, but, but the high expectations in general, they say with toddlers, right? You validate the feeling. You don't always validate the behavior. You guys are not toddlers. That's a terribly insulting, like, it's not a direct analogy here. But in general, with, with you and I, too, in marriage in general, when behavior isn't always aligned, but the feelings are legit behind them, you, you validate the feelings. And I'm validating those feelings for everybody listening right now. The high expectations for this club are justifiable because the club has set them up for those hopes. At this point, we're no longer looking at this Nashville team and saying, wow, in its third year, it's way beyond Minnesota and Cincy and Miami. Yeah, it is. But at this point, three years in, we're comparing the club to itself and to the standard mm-hmm. it's set for itself. And I think it, it, it sells this club short. Still look at Cincinnati, better now, but you know, historically it's been you know, amazingly unstable. It sells this club short and, and it's not ambitious enough. So I think it's fine to be mad, frustrated. Um, I think it's fine to hold those high standards. Anything below top four in the West this year, I believe is a disappointment, especially down the stretch playing 10 of your last 15 at home. Where we both draw the line is let's be realistic about the implications of that frustration, you know, and let's let's try to set logical conclusions as to how this club got here and the actual kind of season this club is still having and what that projects for the rest of the year. And that does not project to cut Ake Loba, fire Gary Smith, you know, bring in four transfers immediately to salvage this thing. Yeah, I think the one thing that everybody can be really upset about is that Cincinnati is no longer bad to the point of comedy. And that's <laughs> that's what is really lost here. That is really... I, I create predictability in my entertainment. <laughs> and they are certainly that. Uh, Brian Wilson, top four finish in the West, playoff position this time next week. I will say this. The club is still in 16 losses ever in which it has had a game after. So not a playoff ending loss, but this club is still 12, three and one all time after a loss. That's two losing streaks ever after those first two matches in club history. They started with a losing streak since then, just two in the last two and a half seasons. But here's what, what remains 10 of the remaining 15 matches are against teams who are in the top nine of their conferences. So in the West, that means team within teams within a point of Nashville and uh, Nashville right now has just the second lowest home points per match in the West. So it's a little consolation that 10 of those remaining 15 are at home. I know I just referenced that as a potential point of, of you know, promise, small sample size at home. <laughs> um, but I think the hope should still be top four. The expectation at this point, I think should be lower than that. I think the hope is top four. I think anything less than top four is a disappointment, but I think as you look at what remains this season, the expectation should be get to the playoffs and then, Ideally, maybe you are top four. If you're not, you're a good road team. You've established that. You might have to go on the road somewhere, and that may be the team we're looking at right now. Yeah, that's the the crux of the issue there, is that 10 of the games are at home, but the problem has been that home is not kind to Nashville. They it, Maybe they can refine the magic of the past couple of years or the beginning of this season even, where, where Nissan was a fortress last season. But, uh, you know, if they don't, I could see this team missing the playoffs. If they play as poorly at home as they have uh, so far, it's a possibility. If they do get somewhere back, if they get all the way back to the to, to Nissan level of unbeatability, top four is absolutely a possibility. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, didn't intend to criticize the fans in the last answer, but maybe I will a little bit here, which is 
make make Geodas Park a fortress if you want this team to be a top four finish in the West. Because if if the fan support wills this team to victories at home, they are going to be in the top four in the in the Western Conference and make the playoffs and, and host home games in the playoffs. Two awesome chances against Seattle and LFC to do that. And I think I'll I'll stop short of saying this week is a defining moment for this team. But if you earn six points or you earn zero points, it can creep very quickly toward being a defining moment. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. To to answer the second part of Brian's question there, I think it's not a defining moment unless it swings vastly one way uh, or the other. I'm heading into this weekend or this week. You just said, you know what? A couple of home draws against Seattle and LAFC, not the worst week. Uh, Now Nashville's put a little more pressure on itself, I think, by virtue of, of a couple losses it certainly did not expect in a draw against Portland that was certainly disappointing. B. Jefferson, we talk a lot about the transfer window. Anybody on loan who could be called back for support? Also, how about an update on our players on loan? I'll get to that update here on the on the other end of this question, but Tim, um, anybody that you think could be come, coming in to provide a little bit of reinforcement? And when you look at why guys go out on loan, it's largely because they're not ready to challenge for a depth chart spot and see playing time for Nashville. But the Nashville franchise wants them to see playing time for somebody. <laughs> they want them to get out and play with um, the Orange County SC. They want them to get out and play uh, with, with Phoenix Rising. They want guys to get playing time, even if it's not going to be in Nashville. Because of that, uh, because that inherently includes because they couldn't get playing time with Nashville, it probably means that recalling any of those guys wouldn't do a whole lot in terms of um, it would it would add a little bit of depth, but it wouldn't do a whole lot of in terms of adding game changing talent to the field. Phoenix rising? No, Phoenix is currently falling. Cose uh, Donaciano is out on loan with Phoenix. He's played in six for them starts. Phoenix has not won any of those matches. Cose uh, playing in an attacking mid and central midfield role there. Ahmed Longmire three starts. Uh, in his most recent start, he earned a two-game suspension for violent conduct following a red card uh, mutual uh, fracas there against San Diego Loyal and San Diego Loyal. Apparently a team against whom uh, Nashville Onis don't do good things or have good luck. Brian Meredith injured in the 32nd minute of a game for Indy 11 against San Diego Loyal has missed the last three as a result. So Nashville's backup keeper who was moved out when Alec Panico was moved in. So just to, to back up your your example yeah. there, none of those three guys uh, particularly you know poised to come in and, and do anything. It's not a Jack Mayer situation or a Luke Hawkinson situation right. or something like that. And I'll, I'll have, uh, as I usually do, I, I have not done it today because of the next thing that we're about to talk about, kind of monopolizing my my print space today. But I'll have the boys in Knockwold update uh, on the website uh, Thursday, Wednesday, maybe. So. Always a regular feature. And one of the things that was my favorite bits of Tim's coverage, even before I started working with them, I always enjoyed that succinct way to, to look at, at who was, was uh, playing. And all right, you referenced it. MLS Next Pro is coming to... North Alabama. Huntsville going to be the host of Nashville's MLS Next Pro team. couple pieces to this, Tim. Number one, it's a new place for Nashville mm-hmm. starting in 2023 to stash guys who it might normally loan out, to bring up guys from its academy potentially, to fill out a roster that at this point is pretty devoid of opportunity for the club, really at all, if, if you're not one of those top you know 20 or so guys. Number two, it's in Huntsville rather than in Nashville. So it's a chance for a team to maybe build a bit of an independent identity in a market that is close enough to develop some fans uh, for for Nashville and drive up an hour and a half to some games. I think this is a good move all around. I'm quite pleased to see this next pro team developing now in what will be the fourth year of the club. And I think it makes good sense to put it somewhere else, but still within Mm -hmm. short driving distance. What do you think? Yeah, I've I've uh, been talking with people about it over the course of the day since it was announced, and it's something that 
it's weird. I think maybe people who, who don't live in Nashville don't quite understand the dynamic of, of, for one, trying to have a second professional soccer team in the city of Nashville. And secondly, kind of the, the breeze that it is to get to Huntsville. Um, if, if Nashville SC2, as I'm going to call it, it's probably going to be called Huntsville SC. But um, if they need academy players, it's, it's an hour and a half from Nashville's academy. If they need first team players to go out on loan to, to recover or to get minutes that they weren't going to get with the first team, it's an hour and a half from Antioch. It's, it's much more convenient than I think people realize. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is going to be beneficial to both Nashville in terms of, of getting guys time there, but also for Huntsville. There's not a mechanism through which Huntsville was going to have a professional soccer team without a setup like this. Mm-hmm. I know there's there's been a, a USL-oriented tweet floating around that, that Huntsville shunned a, a, a USL League One uh, bid, which I, I know to not be true. This has been in the works for a really long time. Mike Jacobs and Ian Eyre. Um, told some of the uh, assembled beat media about it months ago. It has been known. So it's something that has has been in the works. And I, th- I think it makes specific sense to be where it is. And in terms of what it is, um, it's it's good. It means MLS Next Pro has has gone really well for the league. Nashville obviously did not enter in the first year. And now they're um, required by league rule to do it. But certainly certainly confident enough that it's something that works with their business model and their and their soccer model too. And we only know one area in which they will for sure fall short, and that is they're not going to have a name nearly as awesome as the minor league baseball team in the area, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Unless you go, I've heard, I've heard some FC. like I've heard some like possum talk or something like that too, just to to I guess get back at the, the raccoon thing with the trash pandas. But oh. I don't know. I hear a lot of possum talk. We tried to catch a groundhog in our backyard in a very humane way, and we caught three possums over the course mm-hmm. of seven days. I hear a lot of Possum Kingdom on my Spotify 90s playlist. Mm -hmm. Thanks, folks. How about George Jones, the original Possum? (laughs) Nashville native here. Uh, Walter Hayden, why is the ownership committed to this squad when it is clearly not good enough? Walter, coming in hot. Yeah, I think there are two two parts to this, which is the, the ownership is committed to the squad, by which he means will not add to the squad during this transfer window. And it being clearly not good enough, I think... Neither of those is, is something that I agree with. And I think we've talked enough about, about some of them, but there's an assumption that the squad won't have additions based on basically just the fact that it didn't happen in the first couple of days of a month long transfer window. As you previously referenced, Wes, the general manager and the head coach, um, the head coach as recently as Saturday have both said that they want and expect reinforcements at some point. Just because a move isn't made in the first couple of days of the transfer window doesn't mean that it's not happening. It means that there are, you know, I's to dot and T's to cross, or it mean, maybe it, it ultimately means that it doesn't work out, but that doesn't mean that this, that the management didn't try to make something happen. And we know that they have tried to make things happen both in the off season transfer window and in this transfer window already. So in terms of the squad being good enough, I think, you know, we've talked uh, basically ad nauseum about it at this point, but the the losses that they've had to injury the the five game ignominious streak that is that is not great when you only beat DC United over a course of five games is bad but they're still they're still right on the verge of of you know making that that playoff line and so I I, I totally understand the era of bad vibes stuff I really do I understand why it, especially after Charlotte on Friday or Saturday night why it feels like it sucks but I I, I assure you it does not if it continues going poorly. Maybe we can talk, but I do think either way, 
Um, if it's going poorly, if it's not going poorly, that doesn't mean that the staff has not decided to add to the to roster. They I, they want to, and they have been very open about that in the past. I think they're trying more or less. Would be my mm-hmm. my speculation there. John Williams, do we did we yeah you got it? Did we underestimate how much Alistair leaving would impact Nashville's defense? Um, this is a tough one to to answer delicately. I think. Alistair Johnson was a very popular player for Nashville SC, and he is a very popular player for CF Montreal now. I think uh, fans, because of the way that he burst onto the scene, um, recalled from a loan. I, people probably don't remember that in the first year he was sent out on loan, but mm-hmm. comes back, does the weather report, has an assist in his first match, and that gave people really positive feelings about him. He's a nice player, but I, I, I really don't think that – if you covered their faces and covered their numbers, you would say that he's that much different than Eric Miller, honestly. And people have just these divergent views about them. Yes. He's probably better now because he was, he's such a young guy when he played for Nashville SC and has probably improved and has clear. We saw him improve over the first two years, but mm-hmm. I don't think that that particular single player was as impactful as, as people want to remember. Yeah. He was, he was, a, I think I'd go strong player for this team in moments, mm-hmm. but getting forward for sure. You know, there's a reason that, that Nashville wanted to find somebody who was going to be a more attacking right back there. So yeah, Nashville got more than, more than how it valued the player when it got the million offered from, from Montreal. They could not, they could not decline that. I think that the biggest frustration for them is probably just, that they haven't quite found that upgrade piece yet. Yeah. Um, and it's been a long and again, time now. Not for lack of trying, not for lack of trying <laughs> more or less. Uh, speaking of, that uh i i jifregi i believe is is one way to pronounce Frey-hy? this jifregi 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 maybe that's it jifregi asks <laughs> if shack moore is unavailable for acquisition how can nashville solidify its defense I, I you know i there may be backup options out there for this club and you know maybe they've got they've got games set aside that hey we're gonna make this trade if you know whatever i i, I think that you run the risk though of undermining the reason you got rid of Alistair in the first place and getting somebody just to get somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have guys in the club who you can trust, who have taken you to decent form this year. Again, we talked about how giving up four goals to Charlotte was a bit of a deceptive number when two of those are when everybody's forward in the late moments of that. And one game. of them is a penalty. Yeah, exactly. You look at the XG and yeah, you know, so I, think I do. You, how did you know Wes? Uh, I do look at the XG. XT expected Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's what we call it now. Uh, Shaq was, if anything, by the way, not an attempt to strengthen the defense. Yeah, he, he's a two-way player. He can get back, but it was an attempt to strengthen the attack from a defensive role. So, and I'll, I don't even think you see a Shaq more acquisition as necessarily solidifying the defense. Maybe balancing the defense is the better word there. Uh, I'm going to push back a little bit on that because Alex Muel is a pretty good attacking right back. It's yeah, just that he doesn't have the defensive punch. So when you have Alex Muel in there. You essentially have Shaq Moore, who's not quite as defensively experienced. That's, that's, but, I'm with you there. Yeah, I think I think the main way that you strengthen defensive output is is you make a decision on the formation, figure out what the right back is for that formation decision, and figure out if your guys can get it done. Will can hack it in a back five, but 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 isn't that natural defender? Miller can hack it in a back four, but provides little in attack. Can you find somebody who's the happy medium? Can you maybe tailor your scheme to the strengths of the guys that you already have? And that's the issue. It's just mostly, I think, about solidifying and, and kind of um, settling upon a, an attack and uh, a, for, a tactical attack and tactical defensive formation and figuring out how to get your guys to fit there or finding the guy who does. 
Jared French, podcast game time. Would you rather, you got four options here, sign a, sign a player this window and keep Gary another season, not sign a player this window and lose Gary, sign a player and Gary goes at the end of the season, stay status quo, no signing, Gary stays another year. I, Jared, I would like to have my cake and also have it continue to be in existence. Uh, sign a player, keep Gary. Uh, Gary Smith is, it will continue to be the solution at manager for this club for the long foreseeable future. And I cannot imagine a trajectory short of calamity that would change that. So at the same time, yeah, sign a player. I think have my cake, eat it too. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't I don't think there is an argument for getting rid of Gary Smith unless every game going forward feels more like the past two games than the previous 17 games, um, even with the ups and downs of those games. This is a guy who has overachieved the first two years and, and you could say is potentially underachieving so far this year, but there's plenty of upside. And, you know, we've, we've, I think ad nauseum discussed that already in this pod, but um, as far as adding a player, of course, you have plenty of roster space. You have tons of gam. Um, you don't have any DP spots, which is a problem. And I want to quickly punch in a, a question from Isaac S who, who actually made more of a statement, but, but, but said he didn't, he doesn't necessarily agree with um, giving a DP spot to Walker in the off season. The way things are going right now, I understand that because giving a defense uh, designated player spot to a defender is something that is not co consistently done in this league, largely because you can find defenders who don't require DP spots. You can't necessarily find attacking players who you can get for less than DP money. But um, the reality is to keep Walker Zimmerman, you gave, you gave him a DP spot. He was not going to be here if he wasn't given a DP spot in the long run. So um, you don't have a DP spot to give to a, an attacking player. You do have a lot of general allocation money and, and you have space where you can f sign guys under TAM. So of course, if you, I mean, you have five or six roster spots open. sign five or six guys. Yeah, of course, add players if you can. All right, let's let's play fantasy signing then. John Mueller, which player or players in the league, but not currently linked to NSC, would be good fits here? And he says, would you even be allowed to answer that? Yes, we can answer anything. We will. I I, I would not co-host a podcast uh, and allow you know anybody, including the club, to say you can't answer X, Y, or Z. We can answer anything. And and Tim, you can't, you can't answer Y, Y, Z. It's a, it's a little Toronto airport humor for you all. Humor Why? With the second Why, <laughs> Why? Yes, we were trying to work out some puns with that when I was venting to Tim yesterday via text about being stuck at the terrible burger place that was not in Melrose in Toronto. Uh, John Mueller, I'm currently not panicking, but I'm on my way. Why shouldn't I? Well, you shouldn't for a lot of the reasons we've, we've mentioned here. The performances have not been as bad as, for instance, the four-one score, four scoreline indicated. The through-line is still decent to, to good for this team. Now, for your first question that we can and will answer now, um, I don't think he's been specifically repeatedly linked to Nashville, but he has been linked to a lot of people speculatively, and that's Christian Arango out of LAFC. Uh, their attacker, uh, second in MLS last year in goals per 90, suddenly finds himself in a situation where there may be some questions about his future there uh, because Gareth Bale is coming in and could maybe make his debut this weekend against Nashville SC in a bench roll. More on that in a second with, uh, with Chris Sines. Um, second in MLS last year, though, in goals per game. Second best goals per 90 over his first 34 matches of any player in MLS history. That, my Who's friends. number one? If you, if you say somebody's number two, you've got to know number oh, one. Wes. Crap. It's in the LFC this, game notes. Can I get back sports, to you? This is sports writing. Before the end of this podcast, I will have that answer for you because I read it and it's somebody good and I forgot now who it was. Um, I would guess Zlatan, but I don't know. Well, it was, it's not games. Zlatan. I know that. And plus, LAFC wouldn't acknowledge it in their game notes if it had been right. Zlatan. <laughs> that out. Um, but here's why I like Arango. Yeah, the production, of course, anybody would like that. But 
Also, he's in the 84th percentile over the past year among forwards in progressive carries and dribbles, and his average shot distance is 18 yards, so it's at the edge of the box. Whereas, when you look at C.J. Sapong, he's consistently in his career at 11 or 12 yards. He's never scored an MLS goal from outside the box, has C.J. Sapong. Oh, man, that's that's a real... Uh... That's a real curse that you're giving there. Do, do we recall the U.S. game against Jamaica with Mikhail Antonio, a West Ham guy? So therefore, I was I was invested yeah. in his success a little bit. Yeah, scores his first ever goal from outside the box in in like 15 years in the Premier League. Never scored one, and then he scores one against the U.S. I mean, if we if we jinxed CJ in a positive way, then that's great. Yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm good with that. Uh, Aranko, who will perhaps get a chance to see up close on on Sunday. I think you know he allows you to have a little more range out of that striker mm-hmm. role right and, and connect and really combine with honey now i don't i'm not advocating for cj to all of a sudden go to the bench you could you could also play this guy in that three four three alongside cj with honey below them and even you know throw heck throw leal in there put honey in it you could do all kinds of things with that uh, but i think you know because of his range the fact that he's going to play a little further out and threaten from a little further out more importantly cj will link up right he'll 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 do the hold up play thing but arango at five ten, speedy guy could really work around to be i think a good fit for what this team needs in the attack when i decided to to explore this question i was like what position do we talk about constantly that Shaq Moore may or may not play, but the question is who in MLS fits. I, I uh, didn't take me very long. Paul Marie from San Jose Earthquakes uh, is a guy yeah. who I really like. Um, mm-hmm. He's looked good against Nashville twice this year already. Um, I don't expect the Quakes to make the playoffs, so maybe they could be a selling team during this window. More importantly, he is he's a version of Alex Mwil that is more defensively sound. He gets up and down the wing. Maybe not the best connector in the final third, but if you want a defensive upgrade, from Alex Mwil, and you then you have kind of your defense for offense sub and a little bit more of the a similar style with a different focus in terms of what they're really good at. This is a guy who who reminds me a lot of Mwil, but but you know covers the the weaknesses that Mwil has, and Mwil covers the weaknesses that he has. Well, the last time this question was posed to us, our answer, of course, was Sean Davis, and he's here. So expect Nashville C to sign or trade for a Christian Arango or Paul Murray within the next few weeks. Getting, of course, West. Wes, if we wanted to ask somebody if Chicho Arango is going to leave LAFC, who would you recommend? I would recommend a, a podcaster named Chris Sainz, uh, who does a great job with Shoulder to Shoulder and is maybe the authority in, in California. Do you, do you happen to know Chris? Would you have a connection and maybe a way to get, get him on the show? Oh, I'll see what I can, if I can pull any strings and we can play an interview that, is, that we have already recorded. <laughs> Here's Chris. Joining us to talk a little bit of LAFC is Chris Sines of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Chris, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Hey, Tim. Thanks very much. For, thanks very much for having me on, man. I'm doing great. Excited. I uh, just finished listening to the Gareth Bale press conference, and uh, I'm really hoping that we get to see his debut uh, this upcoming weekend. Yeah, that's, I think, obviously the biggest, uh, I guess, storyline for LAFC is, is a couple of big offseason signings or uh, midseason signings, excuse me, both Bale and, um, of course, Chiellini. What are the expectations for these incoming guys um, in terms of how they finish the season? But first of all, in terms of, in Bale's case, when he gets on the field, are they expecting to have him available for Saturday? Um, you know, in the press conference, he said that he was looking forward to getting a couple of trainings under his belt. He did just have his first training today with the, with the first team. Um, I think that he, you can have an expectation that he might get some, some minutes as a substitution late in the game, if any at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the club is, is going to take a little bit of a, 
conservative approach when trying to get him integrated into the squad. And uh, so with that, we'll have to see how the rest of the training goes this week. I think that he will travel with the club and that he will be dressed uh, on the bench. And it's just a matter of how much playing time he'll get is still up uh, to be decided. How does he fit into this squad? Um, obviously, I think a lot of people know that he, he when he played, he mostly played winger for Real Madrid, but he's historically been a bit more of a center forward. Where are the needs for LAFC in terms of how he's going to get on the field? You know, that's interesting to say because, you know, especially when you bring a player like Chiellini also, you know, you may start seeing LAFC playing with three center backs as opposed to the traditional two that they've been playing. Uh, and, and so that opens up with these acquisitions. It opens up a lot of new possibilities for a lot of different formations. I do think that Bale is still going to be the dynamic player on the wing that he has mm-hmm. historically been. Um, I, I know that LAFC has been rumored to have still been looking for a, a striker that number nine designated player. Um, and with players like Chicho Rongo, who are still playing well as number nine for the club, I think that, um, you know, it would only be, it, it would, it, it's, it's definitely going to be something where we see him as a winger, as opposed to like a false nine or a, a, mm-hmm. a, a 10. Um, and I think that Gareth Bale is, that's where he's most proficient at. That's probably where he's most comfortable. And, you know, when you look at LAFC historically, the two wingers will be interchangeable. Sometimes you'll see Carlos yeah. on the right. Sometimes you'll see Carlos on the left. Same thing with Brian Rodriguez. Um, and w- when Diego Rossi was here, I think that Bale will be able to, it'll be a little bit more of that free flowing play. And you'll see that that switching from left and right. Obviously Vela has been uh, a star in this league, a, a recent MVP and a guy who, um, you know, the spotlight has been on, but that's when, been when he's been healthy the past couple of years. That has not been the case so far this year. That is the case, at least uh, to date. Is that something that, um, you know, when you get all of this talent on the field at the same time, the expectation is that LAFC has even more prolific success than they have had so far. Like what, I guess, what are the, what is the upside when you add a player like Bale when they're already as prolific as they are, I guess. You know, and I think that there is a one, his, his ability in and of itself is something that you mm-hmm. have to respect. And when you look back at the 2019 LAFC roster, we were most lethal when we had players that had to be respected as our forwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we had Adama Diomande, when we had Carlos, we had Diego, we had Brian Rodriguez, all three of them, when you would have three out of the four of them in, they all had to be respected. There wasn't any one player that was trying to carry a load on their shoulders that was bigger uh, than, than it was too much for them to handle. It was, it was evenly shared in all three players, and that was when you found your open lanes. I think that having these dynamic players as our forwards, it allows for LAC to still be creative and for players to find their lanes and make their runs and be able to score score great goals. And I think that that's something that LAFC has, has had a, a, a bit of a, a recognition as being this, this high scoring team. And I think that they're looking to try and keep that reputation. Now I know there has been some talk or certainly there was before the bail signing became official that Chicho Arango might be on the trading block because of there was kind of this, this overabundance of options. Are you still hearing that that's the case? Do you expect that he sticks with LAFC? Um, you know what, it, it changes day by day. The most recent, uh, the most recent information coming out is that Chicho Rongo is going to stay with LAFC, okay. uh, right now, the, the contract in which he is signed to and how much LAFC is paying for him. It's almost like we're getting him out of bargain. And you right. look at the amount of goals that he has scored in recent, it's, it would be somewhat, I mean, unless there was a proper deal that came in that was just too good to turn away. 
there's no reason to get rid of him. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it, we saw at the beginning of this season, you know, we had a very full lineup and we were sitting here wondering, man, what are we going to do with all this excess of talent? And then players got hurt as they do, or they got called up for international duties. And then we were able to still stay consistent and play well, even through some of our injuries and, and absences. But that was because of this depth. I think that having a player like Chicho Arango, who is added depth, whether we find a designated player who is going to be uh, uh, that, that number nine striker, or we just maintain Chicho Arango as, as he is and, and, and fill that role within our team, I think it's having these, these assets and being able to utilize them when they're appropriate and not overburdening them with minutes is really what the, the main goal is going to be. Yeah, for all the talk about the attack, the defense did also add a big piece in uh, Giorgio Chiellini, a, a guy who obviously has been around forever, a huge piece of the Italian national team. You mentioned a potential move to three at the back to, to potentially fit him into the lineup. What what uh, would that look like? Would it be a three four three, or are they expecting to to keep you know with the, the wingers wide as they can, or or what do you think that would look like if they do go three at the back? You know, I, I do. I think a three four three where you kind of have those the the two as like a wing back. Uh, mm-hmm. the, you'll have two wing backs in that midfield uh, that will fly up. I, you know, it's it's in, it's not it's hard to say because we right. haven't really had an opportunity to see it. With Steve Trendolo, if it was Bob Bradley, I would I could give you a better idea of what three in the back <laughs> right. would look like because we had to see it last year. You know, mm-hmm. Steve is still we're still seeing what Steve's mentality and what his coaching style is like, so it's it's really hard to speculate. But I think that the idea of having three in the back is just simply to get a leader like Chiellini. Because let's mm-hmm. be honest, ever since we sold Walker Zimmerman to you guys, like we have been desperately searching for a center back, uh, mm-hmm. somebody to come in and fill that role. And, and be able to be that, 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 that rock in our back line. Um, and so I think Giorgio Chiellini is going to fill a role. And that role is to give guidance and mentorship primarily, but it's also to come in and use some of his, uh, his prowess and, and defensive knowledge to be able to, to play at that high level. Um, you know, when you look at his previous season with Juventus, he didn't play 90 minutes every match consistently. Mm-hmm. And I, while the play, the level of play here in the MLS is a, is not at the same level as what you would see in Serie A, I think that having an expectation that Giorgio Chiellini is going to play 90 minutes every match for the rest of the season, and I think there's like 16 matches left, that mm-hmm. that's a little bit too high of an expectation, and I think that there will be a little bit of that load management. Now, he's a guy who came in and, and was very open, like, hey, I'm willing to kind of be the mentor sort of guy, and I... I would say it's probably more rare for, for the Euro guys, the, uh, the aging Euro guys coming across. Is that something that was kind of refreshing in an LAFC team that, that has obviously been extremely successful over the past few years, but could probably use a little bit of leadership just as much as they could use a little bit of what he actually provides, you know, on the ball or, or defensively? Yeah, I mean, it's always been really important. John Thornton, our general manager and mm-hmm. co-president, has always been big about saying, that the culture is what we want to look at first. Is the person going to fit within our locker room? Do they have the right mentality? Um, I've had conversations with people in the front office and there have been times that players have been mentioned and they're like, no, that, that sort of individual probably wouldn't fit within our dynamic and mm-hmm. what we're looking to build. Uh, so having somebody with the humility that Giorgio Chiellini has, I mean, just in general, if you'd ever hear any of his previous press conferences and things like that from when he was playing Sarah, he was always a very grounded person. Uh, he was not really someone that came off and had this 
larger than life persona. Um, and so I think that that has a lot to say about his character as an individual. So coming into a, a club like LAFC, I think that that's the perfect mentality to have. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, when you look at somebody like Chiellini, you know that his football career and his playing days are coming closer to the end than they are than the beginning. And I'm sure he wants to just still be able to lace them up, go out and play and do what he enjoys doing. Um, the, the goalkeeping situation the past, I guess, probably past two years was a little bit of a question mark, far less so with Maxime Crapo between the sticks. Um, after uh, the, the adventures, I guess you could call them, of Kenneth Vermeer, who is, is one of the worst MLS players I think I've seen. <laughs> and, then, and then a little bit more up and down um, from uh, Tomas Romero and Pablo Cisniega last year. How refreshing has it been to have a guy, not only a guy like, uh, like Crapo, but uh, a solid backup in John McCarthy as well? Uh, you know what? It, it really is. Uh, we have that again, goalkeeper was another position that through our uh, first four seasons, we were looking for something to be solidified. Uh, Tyler Miller was serviceable and he was uh, the right goalie that we had for the first, for the first two seasons at the time. Um, but having somebody like Maxine Kripo right now is definitely, it's very refreshing. And seeing how he has made his way into the into the team and become a leader, he's very vocal. I was at the match this past Friday against the Galaxy, and uh, we were watching, and there was a, a point when there was an injury uh, uh, closer to the north side where the 32-52 was in the second half, which is um, you know way out of position for Maxime Cropo. But here he is, way on the other side of the, of the, of the mid-pitch line, and he's talking to the defenders and he's getting in their face and he's trying to tell them what it is that he sees from that, from that back uh, solo position. And it, it is, he's very vocal, very outspoken. And, and, you know, uh, when we played in Vancouver, he was given the captain's armband. Now, I don't know if that was necessarily because he was making his return to Vancouver or if that was because Carlos wasn't playing um, and Ilya wasn't playing. But the fact is, is that even if it is the third option for being a captain, whether we're in Vancouver or not, I think that it shows you the leadership skills that Maxime has. And, and it's something that, that we as an LAFC fan base really appreciate and we love to see. And I, th I think the last big picture question here is, I think fans became very familiar with what Bob Bradley wanted to do over the past few years. He wanted to play beautiful football, wanted to play possession football. What, what is Dolo's vision for this team and how is LAFC playing? Is it pretty much the same or is, is there a significant change to the style? Steve has been very outspoken about saying that, you know, this league is a very physical demanding league and that sometimes you're just going to have to win ugly games. Um, getting LAFC to that point and that mentality of, Hey, it's okay. If, if it's not beautiful, it's, if it, if we win and it's ugly, it's still a win and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, you look at some of the teams that have made their runs in the MLS uh, playoff system and one gone on to win their MLS cups. I mean, Seattle comes to mind as one of the biggest teams that, that wins ugly games. Right. I mean, when you look at some of their previous wins over previous seasons, they are winning ugly games time and time again. And I think that that's a little bit of, of the expectation that needs to be had for teams that are going to be successful, especially in our playoff structure. Um, it's not necessarily going to be the teams that are at the top of the table. I mean, how many times have we seen the supporter shield winner, not even make it into the MLS cup, let alone win the whole thing. Um, you know, the teams that tend to be most successful are the ones that have that grit and that fight and can find a way to win regardless of uh, how the chips are stacked against you.
So I guess a little bit of a, a hybrid style between the beautiful uh, game that you're able to play with the talent that is available to you, plus plus uh, adding a little bit more of that physical edge. What is the upside for this team? Does this feel like a team that looks like it can um, hold on to the current supporter shield uh, lead that it has, but also find success in the playoffs that has been so elusive over the first few years of this, uh, the existence of the club? You know, un- unfortunately, you know, and I don't want to have these high expectations because then you you leave so much room for disappointment. Yeah, yeah. But based on what our roster looks like and how we're playing and the acquisition of Chiellini and Gareth Bale, who have yet to play a, a minute in a, in a black and gold uh, jersey, and we're sitting where we're sitting, it's hard for you not to believe that we should be a heavy favorite. Um, but at that point, once you accept something like that, that's when you get complacent. I think that if this team realizes that it's going to be a, a tough season, that there are going to be hard matches and that we need to continue mm-hmm. to fight and maintain uh, an attitude of that we don't have anything, we haven't earned anything, we still have to prove ourselves that we will be more successful. But if if at any point any of these players start taking this complacent attitude that, oh, look where we are and look who we just got and we don't have to work as hard, I think that there might be a little bit of uh, a step back in performance, and that's what you don't want to see. Um, I am confident that LAFC is going to play well. Uh, I, I, I want to say that I, I'm going to see LAFC play in the CONCA champions at some point mm-hmm. next season because there are, you know, we missed an opportunity with the U.S. Open Cup, and I'm a big fan of the U.S. Open Cup, and I feel like that's an opportunity for teams to really showcase because there are unfortunately based on how our scheduling is a lot of teams don't take it as seriously as I would like other teams to take it take mm-hmm. it as serious um and we and we missed an opportunity by losing that match against the galaxy um and so now in order to get into the conca champions which again people want to try and mirror what seattle had just done you know you have to win and you have to be consistent so you know winning a supporter shield would be great because it gets us in but that's not enough because we already have one and we know the stigma that comes with winning the supporters shields. It's almost like a, a consolation trophy for the league. Anyways, we want to try and win the MLS cup. That's everybody's goal. Gareth Bale said it in his press conference over and over and over. That's what we want. Hopefully this team stays focused and continues to do the things that need to be done so that they put themselves in that best position to do it. Awesome. Well, that this has been our interview with Chris signs of the shoulder to shoulder LAFC podcast. Chris, where can the people find you on, on social media and elsewhere? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, at, at LAFC S the number two S uh, that's LAFC S two S.com. And uh, you can go ahead reach us. We do weekly episodes and we have opponent correspondence. Tim, you're going to come on and be our opponent correspondent for the Nashville match coming up. Uh, and uh, we give we give insight and post game and pre game analysis, and we also do uh, interviews. So we'll interview people from our community. So if anybody's interested in anything LAFC related, how the community was formed, some of the supporter groups, uh, interviews with front office personnel players, feel free to uh, drop us in and give us a comment and listen. And uh, we appreciate all the help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We will be chatting with you uh, going the other direction soon. Great to hear from from Chris to get that insight into LAFC as, of course, Nashville takes on Seattle Wednesday, LAFC Sunday in a very important week, maybe the most important yet for this club. Circling back to one more mailbag question, by the way, with a quick answer. Travis, I'm a Nashville fan. Does that make me a masochist? I mean, if you choose the same clubs as either of us in general in life, 
you're a masochist. Yeah, my, my answer was much more simple. Yeah. Yeah. And Travis, we're with you, buddy. Um, final whistle. Content recommendations before we get out of here. Uh, mine's, mine's quick and easy. Pablo Mar, uh, who, whose last name I just probably butchered, uh, just re- re-signed with The Athletics. He's going to be writing for them a little longer. Good guy, good MLS writer, and a Nashville guy. He's from Nashville, and, and he's doesn't live here now, lives up in D.C., uh, I think he and Ben Olsen are real tight. You see a lot of a lot of DC United reporting from him, but he's um, he, he returned a couple of years ago and wrote a good piece about growing up going to Greer Stadium, and now something in that same neighborhood was taking shape that was so much bigger. Nothing's going to beat old school Greer Stadium with half the scoreboard lights out. But but not re- just recommending that piece, but Pablo's larger body of work I think is really good. And uh, since he has just announced this week that he's uh, re upped with uh, with the Athletic, thought it was a good chance just to give a quick shout to a, a fellow Nashville native and, and some good work he's doing. I've got multiple. First of all, since we hardly had a chance to talk Seattle here, uh, go back and listen to our episode with Jeremiah Oshan from the beginning of the season, the, the very first game preview pod that we had. Um, I'll put a link to it in the in the story that I put up on, on clubcountryusa.com along with this podcast. And I also, I think I gave a shout out to this last week or a couple of weeks ago to our good friend Valer Shabila. He's been doing film Fridays every mm-hmm. week on Twitter. He, he's putting up good film clips, sometimes with a, a hat tip to Jamie Watson, who obviously is is the Nashville SC analyst. And then uh, the, the third one is, is, is obvious. Uh, it's thanks to our guest, Chris Sines. Um, check out the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. I will be their guest. Um, by the time you listen to this, I, you may be able to get it. We'll see. Um, so depending on how quickly you listen to our pods as, as soon as they're published, hopefully. But um, yeah, check out those those three uh, total items. That would be Shout to Valer doing a great job breaking things down. Clay Trainum, the historian of, of the Pharmaceutical Podcast, and Stephen Robinson as well. All those guys. He's also there. Long timers. <laughs> They're great. He's great. He's awesome. He's, I like Stephen in full in full HD. Uh, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to check out ML Rose, either before or after the match, or both. I might actually be there after Sunday's match. I'm a bachelor for a little bit. Wife and kid are out of town, so... Uh, thinking I might just eat a lot of burgers and drink a lot of beer, uh, especially after matches and not a lot of beer before. Uh, Moon Taxi, the music, of course, as always. Hop on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, review, subscribe, tell a friend about us, follow us each on Twitter. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for putting us on the air. Thanks to you for tolerating a very long mailbag episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope to talk to you soon.